This is Mostly Awesome, a podcast about the personal journeys of innovators and change makers. We talk to the doers and thinkers of our time to understand what motivates them and why they do what they do. Brought to you by your hosts, Anne and Strajit, and the entire CDTM podcast team in Munich. In today's episode, we have Vidya Madhavan joining us. Vidya is the founder of Schmooze, a fast-growing dating app in North America, where you swipe memes. Yes, you heard it right. Memes instead of people. We discovered Vidya soon after Schmooze featured on the Stephen Colbert show earlier this year. Vidya hails from India and has worked at McKinsey and Tata 1 MG before she headed over to Stanford for her MBA. Alongside building her startup Schmooze, Vidya also spends time nurturing young entrepreneurial talents as a venture advisor at Grad Capital. During this episode, we will get to hear Vidya's thoughts on how an MBA and entrepreneurship complement each other, where the idea of a meme-based dating app even came from, and how the online dating market might develop in the years to come. We'll also talk about how hiring decisions are made in an always data-driven company, especially one that is in its nascent stages, and how Vidya operates remotely from the US, while a large portion of her team is stationed in India. Finally, we are happy to add yet another personal toolbox to our resources. We have an exciting episode lined up for you today. So without further ado, let's get started. Hi, Vidya. It's great to have you for the episode today. Uh, hi, Srajit. Hi, Anne. Great to meet you. So you were at McKinsey for two years after your undergrad, and people do have polarizing opinions about McKinsey and, of course, also about the consulting industry as a whole. So I do wonder, what is your opinion about consulting? And what is your opinion especially about the work that you and your peers have done looking back? McKinsey obviously was my first job, so all of our first jobs really mold who we are. And there's such a huge part about McKinsey that's still left in me. So I think McKinsey as a first job or very early in your career teaches you how to work. And that is what I've learned. And now as far as the consulting industry as a whole, I think it it has its own reasons for existing. As I also realized, like recently, we were invited for a case presentation competition. Like they were students in Bitspilani were doing their case on schmooze and many of the things that they actually shared on the group were things that I know I'm aware of but it was just good to get that outside in perspective and I think that's what consulting does you sometimes need folks from the outside to look at it objectively to say what makes sense and what doesn't so I think that's my view about the industry now how do we use it what are the 10 different things that come out of um, a consulting job or um, Primarily hiring consultants, I think that's debatable. How about your everyday work? How do you see that experience impacting your daily work as a startup founder? I think that's where, as I said, for me, my time and my experience from McKinsey really taught me how to work. Because especially when I graduated, having done engineering in undergrad, I came out with the expectation that everyone would think and work like me, full stop. And engineering undergrad in India essentially means that you are with a very, very homogenous set of people uh, who think very objectively, who are super analytical. But that's 
very untrue the moment you set your foot in the outside world right so working in so many different client projects with folks as senior as like you know even cxo minus 2 you realize that what motivates people the way they think are all very very different and as a young consultant your job is still to get work done which means whether it is the senior most client you have or the junior most person in the client or maybe even resources that you have within mckinsey you kind of leverage all of them in ways that each of these people can understand in their language to get things done and that is what i really learned which helps me every day in my life as a startup founder because let's imagine a meme officer that i hire thinks and understands things very differently than maybe say um, a software engineer at schmooze right and they all everyone does not come with the similar level of intellectual ability analytical skills and very rightly so because different people are hired for different roles that's interesting you have been doing an mba recently you i think you started in 2020 so i imagine now it's it's on the cusp of getting over i, I want to ask about that program and this is something that came up in our last interview as well because we were interviewing somebody who was at insiad maybe about 20 years ago So I want to ask you a similar question and more in the context of the MBA program today because it's a very expensive program it comes with a very high uh, price tag. Do you think that an MBA is actually antithetical to the idea of becoming a young entrepreneur? Because it typically takes a startup founder a couple of years to be able to start paying themselves the amount of money that is the market standard in terms of salaries. As long as you can't do that it's difficult for you to earn the ROI that you're investing while doing this expensive degree how does that work out from a strictly financial standpoint so i think it's it's also funny people keep saying mba is an expensive degree i uh, have some contrarian views to that one because i feel we are all like very super super short term myopic thinking if we are doing that because i would look at the payout of an mba degree to pan out over the next 15 20 years not really compare it with how am i going to finance this in the next 5 years or next 3 years so that's number 1 number 2 top mba programs usually also are very generous with their fellowships and at least at stanford about 80% of my tuition was waived so that makes uh, my actual actual expense to be very very low but even if that was not the case i think if you look at a 5 year 6 year salary that folks make out of some of these mba programs that's kind of a good enough time frame to start paying off your loans and again as that's why i started off by saying looking at a a very very short term uh, focused hey this is how much i spend i spend like 200000 on my business school degree and this is what i get is definitely a short term way to think about it and i feel over a longer time frame some of the skills that you learn i'm not going to talk about the friendships you make and networks you have uh, i think that is fine but some of the skills that you learn definitely are going to uh, pan out over a 10 to 15 year time frame because i think let me pick a very random example many, many of the things that we do in business school are taught to us with you or like every other classmate being looked at as the case protagonist i mean if all of us are invariably putting ourselves in the shoes of the case protagonist right which means that you are being trained to think like let's say a ceo or minus one person of course now when we graduate 95% of us don't become ceos 
So as a result, yes, if you're expecting to really put into use what you learned in your business school classes, like immediately, of course, it's not going to seem like something super relevant, but over time, it is going to pay out in things that you do. And I think there was another part to your question, right? So an MBA is obviously an expensive program. The tuition fee is high, the living costs are high, and add to that the opportunity cost of not working for two years. And I'm sure you're staring at a few hundred thousand dollars of investment. And this often comes up in my discussions with people that does this financial debt not deter people from being experimental? Does does it not hold them back from doing something uncertain, especially financially uncertain, like founding a startup? And since you're somebody who founded her startup right after her MBA, I'm quite curious to know your thoughts on this. I think I'll put the fellowship and all of those things aside. I think purely uh, looking at, hey, this is how much money I've already spent. Basically, if you are graduating uh, with a negative account balance in many ways and have like entrepreneurial path to take, I think that's where raising VC money and how quickly can you do that and some of those things come into picture. Because it definitely becomes very hard to go without. I didn't pay myself anything for a good 10 months or so. Whereas other folks, it moves were getting paid. Because if I start paying myself, I know how many other people I could have hired by not paying myself. And I think you can go without pay for a decent amount of time. But yes, beyond that, it becomes very, very hard. Almost the first capital that folks raise goes into paying like one or two key people and paying themselves, whatever that amount might be, but to just keep yourself afloat, right? But again, to get back, it is possible to get started. You can't in a bootstrap way, it's going to be very hard to run the show for a long time frame. And that might deter some people from making a type of a decision. But I think Overall, it should be fine if made as a calculated move. And I'm, I was actually part of 2019 class at Stanford and supposed to have graduated in 2021. And I had deferred a quarter, which essentially resulted in me graduating in December 2022. So for me, luckily, most of Schmooze's journey happened while I was at business school which is actually a time frame when you're anyway not hoping to get paid. And uh, by the time I did graduate, we had raised round of VC money and I started paying myself. So I just want to dive deeper into two things you just said. One thing I'm really curious about is that you said you, you were not the first, maybe even the last person to pay your own salary. And I wonder at what point in time you thought, okay, now it's the right time to pay myself a salary. And then the second question I want to ask is, I mean, you basically used the MBA business school as a starting point for founding, but couldn't you in the same time just have founded twice without the distraction on the side? Yeah, I think I'll answer the second question first because I had a chat with a friend about this just last night. So is MBA necessary to start a company? Of course not. I had a lot of fun learning the things that I did and I did nerd out a lot in business school. And many of the, especially in my second year, Many, many of the cases that we did, I could almost relate to most of them on a daily basis, whether it was some of the decisions that went well or the decisions that went wrong. And as a result, personally for me, I really loved having started a company in parallel while also being at business school. Also, Schmooze, of course, is a venture-backed company, something that everyone knows about today. But before starting Schmooze, there were four other things that I worked on. 
which didn't work out which is why schmooze had to come as the fifth product that i had started so while even during the phase of having those other four products and as a result a different company there were many other learnings that were happening and i think business school was probably the best reflection you make a decision and then it almost in my case felt like some of my decisions were being scrutinized by the entire class while we did a particular case on a different protagonist that's how i found two of these things running in parallel very very helpful for me um now going back to do you think business school was a distraction i think that's where i'm drawing the line i have not attended 95% of the parties in business school i think some of the things that people think of from a business school context is oh you network a lot you attend so many parties you would go on global trips those are all things that i didn't do and as a result i don't think it was necessarily a distraction for me it was a class meeting professors and running the company so anything that i did in class was largely very very relevant to what was happening on a day to day basis but yes is mba necessary to run a company absolutely not uh, and i think if in a different world in a parallel universe let's say before starting school at stanford if i had had the idea if i had had the vision to kind of pick something like schmooze i would have actually gone and built it i don't think i would have applied to business school and come here all the way so according to your linkedin and also according to what you've just said you have actually iterated over four different products and found one answer for yourself before you started schmooze now of course what i do want to ask is what happened to the other four and why did you decide not to pursue them any longer so three out of the four of them were in the so- social media space i think the good news about doing anything in the consumer social space is it's very easy to know if something is working or not working in case of schmooze whenever we show it to anyone i just need to use the words schmooze is a meme based dating app like just these four words right and people's eyes like literally lit up and then they go like oh where can we find this i'm just going to start using it now and that's the marker for hey this is working in case of the other four things that was not the case i would explain oh this is like a meme based social platform or whatever and then people would have like 10 other questions to ask me like oh do you have this do you have that don't you think this can be done the moment someone is trying to problem solve with you about what all you can add or subtract even before you know using your product i think that takes you into a very different trajectory than oh you just say meme based dating app and people go like oh wow why has someone why did someone not think about it and going into any of the four products the hypothesis always was like keep building see what brings in huge user excitement and user excitement is something that you just see i can, i mean i wish uh, i could give you a better answer in terms of oh these are the numbers which really convinced me to say let's kill this let's Uh, run that but i think numbers follow that excitement yes they also communicate the same story it's impossible that you know users go like oh wow meme based dating is such an amazing idea and then we experience 100 dollar cacs right so those two things also don't happen together of course numbers tell you the same story that users show in their face and show in their excitement but the point where we decided to shut down the other four it was actually in how many memes do they create in a week have they come back have they only created once 
So these were some of the objective metrics, obviously, that were running in the background for each of those products before we decided to move from one to the other. But the subjective one is literally you can look and feel and see if it's going well or not. And the exact moment of moving to Schmooze, the dating app was when a bunch of users kept asking us like, oh, is this a dating app? And I was like, no, 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 this is not a dating app. And people would call us, oh, you guys are actually Tinder for memes. Like, no, no, we are not Tinder for memes. And then one of my reasons for not becoming a dating app was, oh, you know, US has like about 10 other dating companies. Do I want to become the 11th dating company? Right. And when uh, a user actually told us, hey, where's the dating app for our generation? There is Tinder, which is for hookups. And then there is like Bumble and Hinge, which are kind of serious and boring. Where's the dating app for our generation? And that literally opened up my thinking that, hey, you know, where is the dating app for the TikTok generation? And every generation has its own set of social and dating products. And this generation actually wants something of its own. So that's when we repurposed one of our previous products as a dating app, which is Schmooze. And uh, from there onwards, like there's been no looking back. Got it. And how about the other four? How much of a time investment was there? I just want to be able to visualize the the time frame that you spent before you decided that these ideas deserve to be shelved. Sure. So I think I want to say probably spent about over a year on the other ideas. And there are many other factors also like, you know, Schmooze was quote unquote built a lot more professionally, even in the beginning. The first one really started off as, you know, a hobby project to say, let's do this. And a bunch of friends got added on to it, each of us contributing something over the weekend and then kind of taking things uh, forward. I've spent over a year for sure in all the other four things put together. All right. And how big would you say was the sample size of the people who you interviewed while trying to evaluate the viability of one of these products? So for uh, the largest set that I've interviewed is actually 150 people, 150 students from Stanford and Berkeley in assessing the viability of one of them. And I imagine that was because all of these products saw those people as model users of those products. If it were something for, let's say, the elderly people, then those would not have been the people you would have interviewed, right? Oh, of course. I think you Mm -hmm. would want to interview uh, a set or a cohort that makes most sense for a particular type of product. No, I'm just finding it interesting that all five of the ideas that you had were appealing to people, our generation, our age group, more or less. So I think even before getting into it, my deepest desire was to redefine consumer behavior for the next 10 years. That's where I was really coming from that, hey, consumer behavior gets shaped once every five to 10 years. Whether it's a product like WhatsApp or Facebook or Instagram, anything, Some of the interactions and the way people use these products end up informing how they use many other products. And that is what I was in the journey to really figure out that, hey, can I shape the next 10 years of consumer behavior? And that kind of meant that odds were super high that I was going to work with our generation or the the newest generation for which behavior had to be defined and not the ones above or below. So... One thing I'm very curious about is why were you so sure that memes would be the next big thing to shape consumer behavior? Couldn't it have been anything else? Sure. So I think, of course, there are uh, five different trends or 10 different trends running in parallel at any given point. For me, it was memes because two things. I had deeply seen that memes were emerging as a language. Memes were not even a medium. 
if you go to the i message groups or whatsapp they are largely filled with memes as a form of expression maybe the older generation would have used words in english to respond words in english to express themselves what i had increasingly seen when i had launched the second of the four products people were using that product to actually even teach each other you know for instance there was a group that was created in one of my products where bunch of stanford students were exchanging memes to teach macroeconomics for final exams to the others in the group it was like send 10 memes and synthesize your uh, semester worth of coursework and uh, help the others understand what it is in fact there were even classes at stanford which started accepting memes for presentations and whether it's stanford or bitspill or harvard or any school educational institutes by themselves are very slow to change and i think that's something that we will all agree with seeing an educational institute seeing professors actually say that okay you know what use memes to express your thoughts use memes to tell this class what your thesis or what your project is about was a huge shift when i saw so these were some of the strong undercurrents that was really informing my answer and of course some of the uh, products um, and features that we had built in previously we saw hey people are using you know people are searching for memes on our platform and going and sharing it with other people uh, on dating apps as conversational breakers as ice breakers so on and so forth this and many other trends were really getting to me to say that hey this is such a strong undercurrent whether we believe it or not and in fact the funny memes are so trivial right it's always something to make fun of someone or to laugh at a situation and because of this triviality surrounding memes it's very hard for someone to take it seriously people would say oh there is a crypto wave because crypto fundamentally is just more serious so you want to give it that thought and mind share but since memes are so trivial it's very hard i think to the exception of elon musk no one really says that memes are controlling the world yeah that's true and and a lot of people don't take take him too seriously either but having said that what the equivalence that you're drawing over here is that memes are a form of expression and therefore in order to interact with other social beings we use memes but it's still a bit of a leap to say that memes are also a measure of compatibility so how did you arrive at that conclusion i see that memes have flooded social media so obviously they are a way for people to talk to each other and express themselves but how are they a measure of compatibility one it's not even me it's actually a lot of research that has gone into this by some professors at stanford that you might find in your uh, research who have said this not just as a measure of how are you likely to hit off with someone let's say in your first interaction but even as a measure of the strength of your relationship so research has gone into this and more not about two things one with humor as a lever and the second with memes in particular as a form of gauging that taste of humor and things like that that's the first point that hey there is like lot of research by credible people to say this two of course from what i was seeing people do in previous products where users were only sharing memes the third is from my own personal experience where i literally started dating someone based on our shared taste of humor we said hey memes are actually what represents that humor right now so maybe there are more people out there who would uh, love to connect based on uh, memes and humor i think if we had 50 people using it unsuccessfully i don't think i would have made this point but we had 10000s of people using it many very happily many many happy couples that have come out of schmooze some of them who have actually joined our team to give back to the community 
I kind of wonder, how do you even classify humor? Because all I can think of right now is maybe the word dark or sarcastic. But I guess matching people just based on the word dark or sarcastic is not going to cut it, right? What is the magic ingredient to classify humor? So we use two very, very important things. One is humor type. The other is topic. So what do I mean by humor type? Dark humor, sarcasm, puns, wordplay, so on and so forth. The second attribute, topic can be anything like, is this politics? Is this history? Is this math? Is this music, art, so on and so forth. So what we do at the back end is for us, every meme is a math puzzle. And that's why I even said meme, the way we utilize it is beyond just humor. Because if you read like a five line joke, it's going to become very hard to say if two people who laugh at this joke are more likely to have fun or not. But when you look at a meme, the way we are looking at it, where we say, hey, you know, I can tell you that I like entrepreneurship and venture capital as a topic. But if you actually give me, say, 20 memes to swipe on, might turn out that, hey, you know, we also doesn't know what she likes. And especially in case of things like sarcasm or dark humor and other things, it, it helps us in matching people so much more because there was a student at Stanford super early days who stalked me on LinkedIn and reached out to say like, hey, I'm actually dating a girl I matched on Schmooze. I was like, great, but why did you stalk me on LinkedIn to say that? So he said, you know, whenever I've gone on a date with any girl, my first date is when we realize I'm not going to get a second date because people who like dark humor are a different type of a personality, which you are going to express. And when he was using schmooze, he really loved dark humor too. So he said, for the first time, I went beyond the first date, got a second date, a third date, and now we have started dating. And these are some subtle nuances. What something like schmooze manages to capture is, hey, you know what? Even you don't know what you like. You just open the app. We all love memes. So keep swiping on because that's what is fun. And while you're having fun and laughing at things, we will figure out the work part of really understanding what do you like? Who, who are you more likely to match with? Yeah, that's quite interesting. And also you make almost an etymological distinction between jokes in the past versus memes in the sense that jokes were never really topical or even if they were there were very few niches like hey do you want to hear a lawyer joke or something like that how infrequently would you hear that but memes are very topical there are whole pages which are about entrepreneurship memes or consulting memes yeah this is quite interesting but i also want to ask you about whatever research you did on what the dating world is going to look like in the future so obviously the the pandemic the end of it is hopefully here to happen and we are expecting for there to be shifts in social behavior as a consequence of the end of the pandemic. So what has your research revealed is going to be the different trends that we are going to observe in dating? I think one of the biggest for the age is 18 to 24 year olds, 24, 26 year olds. That's actually a generation using mobile phones from the very beginning, not even mobile phones, rather like smartphones and internet from the very beginning. Uh, while a pandemic would have accelerated and uh, reaped a lot of benefits for the world of online dating. Pandemic going away still do does not take away the fact that, hey, this generation has largely always been on the mobile phone anyway to meet people and to connect with them. So, of course, uh, while our group obviously expects a slowdown in mobile interaction as such, what does not go away is mobile as a source of entertainment, which is consuming memes. So, so what you're saying is that there isn't going to be this 
pent up need to you know leave the mobile phone or leave technology and 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 try to meet people more organically even in a pre pandemic world it was not like folks were just meeting outside of mobile phones that's why so many dating apps existed most of them that existed and came into existence in a pre pandemic world so one is that's what i'm trying to say that yes it might of course reduce but it is still not going to go away at all the second thing that i'm pointing towards is something more specific to schmooze which is that particular is not just dating there is the first layer of schmooze is actually entertainment and swiping on memes people have been laughing at memes pre pandemic post pandemic and whatever and since that is how schmooze works i don't really think that's going to change or impact so i'm kind of wondering if we're moving to to this more meme based communication Are we in dating actually avoiding needing to talk to each other and if we are learn how to talk written or or spoken how can we still have successful relationships once we've come out of this dating phase will the next big thing maybe be a tiktok based couple therapy i think that that's a great question and i'm uh, going to have fun answering that question now so there is in the world of science fiction if i have to draw a line based dating is like 10 on a scale of 100 and tiktok based couple ther- therapy is like 85 90 on a scale of fiction and i'll double on what i just said because uh, doing meme based dating we are literally not even fundamentally creating a new consumer behavior dating companies probably didn't realize it because people were using one of my previous products to largely search for memes to use as an icebreaker in many of these other dating apps and that is an undercurrent that we built on which is why when most people hear meme based dating as an idea from any of us their first reaction is of course wow they're laughing at it etc but the first words that come out of it is why has no one thought about it before which automatically means that they've had an element of oh yeah this makes sense and why was this not done by someone else in all these years people are creating tiktoks but have you seen people create tiktoks to convince their parents that failing in an exam is okay those are going to be the steps leading up to tiktok based couple therapy perhaps will happen but slightly far away to start observing some of those undercurrents before that gets built out but i think part 2 of your question was largely when people get connected based on something like memes how do you think that relationship will, will evolve or what is going to be the basis for that type of a relationship which is going to be different from you know swiping on people or like exchanging text messages if you go to your own dms with five of your closest friends you'll be surprised how many memes you've exchanged with them about how they've reacted so this is not futuristic this is already something that's happening it's just happening on different platforms schmooze has just picked up one use case for it okay that's an interesting take so there's something very special and very interesting that happened with you guys uh, earlier this year which is that you along with another dating app let's let's call you guys uh, non traditional dating apps featured on the Stephen Colbert show now that was that was amazing tell us the story of how that happened tell us how things changed for you guys as a consequence of that i wish i could i can give you a very dramatic and exciting story behind that but what really happened was i woke up my friend had texted saying congrats on uh, being in the colbert show and i was like what do you mean maybe he saw someone else and then he sent me the youtube clip saying no 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 like you guys have been covered i just quickly scrolled through to see is schmooze really mentioned it was i sent it across to my team and we said okay great good job congrats and 
i ended up seeing the video like 5 days after it even released so that was the least entertaining way of telling that story but in the background what i realized had happened an intern from la times had reached two three weeks before that maybe even like a month before that probably and uh, she wanted to cover schmooze because she was using schmooze as a user and she really liked it so then she was like hey i would love to cover you guys for la times she wrote a beautiful story about schmooze and i think covered a couple of other non traditional dating apps also alongside in retrospect she actually wanted to write a proper cover about schmooze only and i didn't find the time to give her more material like she wanted some some of her pictures and all of those things so she ended up uh, writing a cover on a uh, cover which included couple of other dating apps and i think steven colbert's team probably stumbled upon that and picked it up for their show right after valentine's day because one of the clips on the colbert show was from the la times that's when i pinged this girl saying like hey thanks for this and even she didn't know and did you guys also experience maybe an uptick in the number of downloads of course so it's funny now since you particularly ask about steven colbert a few months back our team we were figuring out how we can work with comedians in general and uh, Steven Colbert was a personal favorite of mine because I watch his videos almost every other and we were like oh you know but Steven Colbert might be very expensive let's go down the food chain and then we were like okay this entire deal seems very expensive let's not go there so it was very good when we got the necessary push from him and it of course did show up in terms of the audience uptick as well lots of people started flocking onto the app and i think that of course after my friend ping me 3 hours we started seeing a huge barrage of users coming in across almost throughout once again people outside of america who just kept sending messages on instagram on email saying hey can you open this up in our country also the other thing that was is a lot of credibility you know now when we work with some students students colleges or whether we are looking to hire influencers and other cool people it becomes very easy for us that we just attach steven colbert's coverage i think someone like him covering us is a much much bigger stamp of approval than techcrunch or wall street journal kind of write about you absolutely especially for an app that is thriving on pop culture i think somebody like him who's like a pop culture icon i kind of also wonder regarding pop culture how did you prevent schmooze from falling into the let's call it the clubhouse hype trap that also profited heavily from pop culture and then things didn't really take off I mean if someone gave me 100 million dollars I think I would be better placed to answer that question but jokes apart in our journey I've been laser focused on saying like hey do people really want it and if yes proceed further and that's the reason why four things existed before schmooze then that don't exist today and if people really want something they want it irrespective of the hype they want it irrespective of the waitlist if someone wants it just because you know there is an invite flow and oh it's very prestigious to be in a particular app because no one else is there and i i was i was actually in clubhouse in their super early days before anyone else my friend group actually had an invite and i again it's not my place to talk more about clubhouse but as a user i was in the app and i didn't have fun like at a point i realized that wait are the only notifications that i'm getting about mark andreessen talking on clubhouse every other day then i'm not having fun what was bringing people to schmooze was hey we like the memes in, in fact even 3 uh, days back i was at tufts speaking at a conference and uh, there were bunch of people from the product club there who had attended that uh, conference right and they downloaded schmooze right in front of me now 
This was a group of five girls who downloaded the app and literally after completing the onboarding flow, they started laughing. Like they are just swiping on memes and laughing. They've forgotten that they have a next session to attend, which has already started. And that's all they're doing. Then they look at me and then they go like, we are laughing at this meme. Ha ha ha. This is so funny. And I think that's the difference between, you know, a hype and like people actually loving it that you can scale user love. You can't scale FOMO. Like that's good for a cold start problem. Okay, now I actually really want to try it out but uh, and look at the memes. But unfortunately, it's not available in, in Europe yet as far as I know. So I wonder, is Smooth still in beta overall? Or have you officially launched in the US? Schmooze is not in beta. We did have a proper launch and the app is very much functional for everyone in America. What we are focusing on right now is going super local, even within America. Because a dating app is an Uber or a Lyft type of a problem, which is how many people are close to you. And what we are trying to do is if you match with someone, then the next step should be to go grab coffee with them. Right. So we are even within America, we are going hyper local in specific regions to find large number of people in a particular small radius before we think of expanding to other places. Now, what's holding us back from expanding to other regions? If we had raised like half a billion dollars. I think I would I would be more than excited to launch and expand Schmooze in 10 countries simultaneously, knowing that there is going to be a team on the ground to successfully take that of these places. But in the absence of that, it becomes very important in a product like Schmooze to focus on two things. One is content. Because I can't launch in India or Netherlands or LATAM without having local content, which is relevant. The second is actually getting that mass of people in geography that you go to. And uh, we don't want to have half a million users throughout the world. We care more about having 100,000 users in a particular geography because that we know results in really good stories of those 100,000 users. If I understand correctly, this means that the memes or the content that is being created is is being created and curated by you guys. It's not being crowdsourced. So that's true. And of course, going forward, we're also in alternative methods for how can we leverage the, the creativity of the crowd to scale. But irrespective, the point having a source which is very tailored to that particular job. So you really have a content writer for, say, Stanford, for instance. We have meme officers. A meme officer, nice. That also means that you don't have to moderate content, right? Because I, I was just going to ask about that because I imagine that meme content is not always appropriate and not always what you would want to have on your platform, especially when it's about dating. And that's one of the reasons why we even started with meme officers because so many platforms have gone down south time and again because of content moderation being an issue and we didn't want that to hold us. So we, we were reading a few articles about the UI UX of uh, dating apps and we came across many articles that were talking about how swiping has now become this navigation modality which is kind of dated, right? In fact, especially among Gen Z users. Why are you guys still relying on on swiping? Is this a quick and dirty fix that let's let's do this first and then we can think of how to enhance the UI? Of course, uh, swiping on people probably is outdated, uh, but not swiping on memes. And that kind of stuck with our users who are very happy, excited and comfortable in using that. Maybe the fatigue is largely on swiping on people and not swiping on memes. Yeah, that is entirely possible. So looking at what else is out there in the, let's say, Gen Z dating app world, especially the, the more niche ones, the more special ones, 
Would you say you have somebody who is your biggest competitor or threat right now? Or would you say that having this focus on memes first, dating second, that it's so unique, you're not afraid of anything? You know, in the history of dating companies, every dating company has always been about a profile and a photo. Which is as true for Match.com back in the day as it is for Tinder, Bumble and Hinge right now. Schmooze has fundamentally challenged that for the first time where you have something else a third attribute which is really informing how matching happens but the place where schmooze really stands out is the fact that hey you don't have to do anything there are products which are like oh you enter these 15 attributes then our app will do something it will say what your personality is you have to answer this long questionnaire of 30 questions Based on that, we will tell you what is your political inclination. Schmooze is fundamentally different where we say, hey, dating apps are boring and stressful. Both. It's not one, it's both. And we want to be the opposite of that. How do we remove the boring part of it? We remove it by putting memes at the center. How do we remove the stressful part of it? We remove that by saying, you know what, you have been stressed to even give your name, age, bio, photo, blah, blah, blah. We'll be stupid to ask you to enter 10 more things. We'll be stupid to ask you to make you create a video. We'll be stupid to ask you to, you know, give five aspects of your personality and run a test. So we don't want anything from you. You just open your phone, swipe on memes because that's what all of us do anyway. And while you're doing something that you enjoy doing the most, we will find out what you actually like and find you someone to laugh with. And last Sunday, we had a power users gathering for Schmooze in Boston. 80% of the people there had come to Schmooze not because of a TikTok post, not because of a social media thing, not because of any of our offline activation. They came to Schmooze because they saw their friend sharing a screenshot about Schmooze. They went like, oh, what is the Schmooze thing? Some of them searched for schmooze on the store and that's how most of them came. And these are our power users. And I think that's what we, we are really focused on. Like I would be scared, afraid or dejected if I had to spend a lot of money to acquire users who become our power users. Right now, what excites us? People are coming to the product and we are razor focused on how do we create more avenues for people to spread this very organic. Yeah, I think you're quite convincing in the thesis that you're presenting. And it's almost, I think the elegance is in the fact that it's quite simplistic. It's not complicated at all. And it's maybe obvious at a subconscious level, but you have probably hit the jackpot and, and you're the first one to have to have realized this. But so much about the app and the industry and, and the work that you've done at Schmooze. We also had a couple of questions about how you ended up composing your team. And I think the first person to begin with is is the co-founder. And we we saw that you have a co-founder and he's based in, in Bangalore in India. And he comes from a technical background, which you do as well, but he does not have the additional uh, business background that you do. Tell us about how you stumbled upon him and, and when, at what point. Having worked with my friends for about a year, you know, doing three other products with each of them, I had a mental view of what I wanted and what I did not want in a uh, long-term co-founder that I would formally bring in the company building. For me, finding a co-founder was definitely a proper process. The good news was having come from technical background myself, I did, of course, 
knew a lot of folks who would either be candidates for becoming a tech co-founder at Schmooz or new people who would be appropriate. Part of the process was actually two things. One was based on my own learnings over the last one. I knew that these are two or three things that I really want. And these are two, three things that I don't want to see in the person to match with because I think finding a co-founder is also like a matching problem. And the second part of this process was actually doing like a trial phase, doing something together, maybe say for 30 days together and seeing at the end of it, like, do you gel well? Because in any of these people, any of these candidates, I was not doubting nor were they really doubting the business acumen that I brought onto the table. What we were really trying to see is, are we both solving for similar set of things? Do we have a value system that we want to ascribe to and kind of respect each other for that? And uh, that actually happened and clicked with who's my current co-founder to work together for 30 days before taking a call on do we want to do it together or not. And around 15 days itself, it became amply clear for us that it made sense to be on this journey of building Schmooze together. So Abhinav uh, was one year junior to me in my undergrad. And he had himself been part of many student startups, both, you know, during our undergrad time. So having dealt with our own individual journeys together with me having built four things before him and him having separately embarked upon his own entrepreneurial journey, we both clearly knew that these are our strengths and these are the areas that that we need help on from our co-founders and that kind of vibe very well. That's why we decided to work together. What about the fact that you guys are not co-located? You're, I assume, in the US and he's in Bangalore. We were a COVID company in many ways. And at that point, it didn't matter because people even within Bangalore or at Palo Alto were all working remotely. At this point, we have actually offices, uh, one office in New York and the other in Bangalore. If someone newly joins and they want like some hybrid option, yes, but we both fundamentally believe that we have to be in person at a place and work. And between the two of us, we figured out our routine by starting off our days at 6.30 morning so that we can sync up before anyone else in, in our teams want us for inputs, for help and regular so what are your hiring decisions points for a regular team member and why are you still heavily hiring in India? When do you say, okay, this, this is not the right person or this is the right person? Maybe that's where an MBA helps. Some of our points have been, one, we care a lot about having a work sample in our interview. We don't want to fall in the trap of hiring, hey, this person is like me and let me bring them on. If we are hiring for a marketing role, a sample of the work that they will do is what goes on as an interview question. And uh, what works is, hey, what is their thinking? What is their answer to some of these things? Not just, you know, live problem solving on an interview. But actually as a work sample of, hey, this is what I have. In some cases, it's a 20-page deck. In some cases, it is a three-page social media strategy. The second thing that uh, we used to do and we are going to bring back is probably quote-unquote work together for maybe, you know, two, three days or a week or something. Now work together, of course, we are also hiring experienced hires. We are no longer hiring fresh out of college. Something that we feel worked really well for us whether it was, you know, Abhinav and I deciding to work together or some of our initial hires was, hey, let's, we we make it very clear that we want to do this together for a particular period of time. And the places where we've made the decision to go ahead and say yes are the ones where we've made the decision in two days versus seven days based on whatever output they have. And at the same time, where the answers have been no, 
have also been like no for a really long time so that's something that we want to bring back the third thing that we really look for is warrior mindset and you know building a startup is tough yes there are intellectual aspects of building a startup which is what we are testing by point number 1 right like the work sample test are you logically are you a logical thinker can you solve this can you solve that etc etc given the type of co-founders that you know abhinav and i are we really care about problem solving but the second aspect which is like in a startup everything needs to get done and everything needs to get done now right so what we are also checking for is your attitude of we don't want to hire people who will tell, who will give us 10 reasons why something cannot get done so we are constantly looking for people who will give us a reason for yes oh like you know there is covid schools have this restriction this is happening but let me find you one way how we can market it to this particular school so that's one heavy attitude check that we are and how do you plan to to bring this into hiring more senior people because i mean if you were a bank and you were hiring 20 senior bankers from an established bank i guess that would highly change the the culture of your startup so i kind of wonder how do you try to bring this saying yes into hiring more experienced workers i think both are different questions one how are we planning our hiring process one is through the type of personal questions that we ask by understanding these questions i can't ask someone like oh would you say this is a problem statement what would your reaction be oh there is covid there is omicron we want to launch in new york will you go do it not do it that's a very wrong way of asking a question what we really try to do is gauge some of these attitude things by trying to understand examples from the past their lives where they have done something or not done something based on their own situations a question like hey what's one of the most herculean things that you have done in your life and explain the journey leading up to that and how did you feel at the end of it some people might take up to 20 minutes to answer this question and we are fine uh with some of those interviews run for a couple of hours over additional time in solving these questions we feel is better than making a wrong hire and literally struggling with them to get things done the other thing is of course reference check we are relying very heavily on that again maybe an mba thing to do but we have rejected some very very key hires based on some of the reference checks no no candidate is ideal but the question is to figure out if some of those misses are something that you can talk and literally go back to some of these reference checks and try to understand what some of these issues are and you would be really surprised that reference checks can be a game changer at many times so that that brings our marketing push uh, to not as high as our product push because we are a product led growth company if the app works well if the product is exciting delightful then people take screenshot share it and other people that's the way we grow so that means that we need to really have a strong engineering and product team that will build something that is you know shareable so with that what is one book that everybody should read this uh, book on snapchat how to turn down a billion dollars it represents a very real view of building a company number 1 number 2 i had also learned about we feel that building companies are like an overnight success story but i realized how evan spiegel actually had to spend one full year of so many people not using snapchat of people calling it like a dumb product of every class at stanford saying why this will not work before it actually took off and became the company that it is today 
what is an app that everybody should download? I want to say Google. I mean, don't doesn't everyone have it already? But I think you, if you use Google, Google, Google will lead you to schmooze. Okay, what is a podcast that uh, you love listening listen to? I don't listen to podcasts anymore. I don't find the time to do that. Okay, what is a music album everybody should listen to? <laughs> we we are releasing a song called Shmo- for as a parody of the schmooze fest. So maybe that one. And you follow. So I start my day at 6.30 a.m. with heavy analytics-based calls before going on. Another routine that I actually follow is more on a weekly basis where I ensure that I have at least a few hours of time allotted for A, catching up with fellow founders because starting a company, building a company is a very, very lonely job. So that's something that I'm very conscious about and ensure that I catch a couple of fellow founders every week. The other thing that I do is to also help mentor fellow founders who are at a stage earlier than me once again on like a weekly basis because that's just my way of giving back to the community that has given me a lot and b also helps me stay connected with okay what's what else is happening this question who is one innovator on, or entrepreneur with international roots who everybody should know about who everybody should know about because I would have said Elon Musk and I would have said Elon Musk because people don't realize he's from South Africa Because we actually had a meme on Schmooze, which people started reporting because they thought it was a joke on South Africa and like black people, which was not true. It was actually a meme that was made because Elon Musk was from South Africa. But anyway, that's that's besides the point. I really derive a lot of inspiration from Jamshedji Tata and the kind of work that he has done. I think there are many, but there are very few nation builders. And I think uh, he was one of them. So... Reading more about him has also taught me about how building a company is not as easy, uh, let alone building an enterprise, which uh, outlasts you. Yeah, RM Lala <laughs> would agree. Absolutely. Sir, it was fantastic having you over, Vidya. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much, Rajit. Thank you so much, Anne. It was a pleasure talking to you both. I kind of wonder the how mostly awesome podcast is brought to you by CDTM, the Center for Digital Technology Management. This well, episode is a product of great teamwork together with Annabelle Schäfer, Kai Kirsch, what is the magic and ingredients of Skype? To classify if you like our podcast and you would like to support our work, please rate us on the platform you're listening on and tell your friends about Mostly Awesome. We would like to invite inspiring guests with diverse cultural backgrounds to our podcast. Our inbox, podcast at cdtm.de, is always open for your feedback or any warm intros. Thanks for tuning in.